Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, George Tantrizos, and my guest this week is an absolute hero. For over 20 years, Pina R. Camon has been at the head of the Missing Children's Network, a nonprofit organization that works tirelessly in sensitizing the population to the disappearance of children, but also assists parents in the search of their missing child. We discuss about her early involvement with this organization, as well as the mental and emotional challenges of doing what she does. Enjoy the conversation. Tina, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me at your, your new offices. They look spectacular. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. It's been about a year now that you're here? Actually, uh, our second year. And uh, these offices were uh, built for the Missing Children's Network by one of our longtime and very generous partners, the Mantoni Group. Yeah. They were actually renovating uh, this office. And we were looking to re- renew our uh, lease. And uh, one of the, uh, the well, the... Uh, the wife of the owner is a board member, and she says, well, you know, before you renew the lease, Pina, there's an opportunity for the organization to maybe move into one of our buildings that we are mm-hmm. renovating. And so they built this space for us, and they're actually subsidizing a very large part of our rent. So it's wow. one of the most generous gifts that we've received in our history. No, good for them. Yeah. Well, it looks spectacular, and this whole area here is gonna is gonna get revamped eh, with the university coming and. Uh, that's right. I remember growing up just down the street on Delepi, uh, between okay. Beaumont and Jean-Talon. That's where I grew up, and this whole area here was just so industrial and yes. so dark. We were we were afraid to come here and play. <laughs> well, now you see we have the metro station, yeah. so it's very accessible for the metro. The metro existed, but still the area was just so dark and yeah. gloomy all the time, and it was just so industrial. And our parents were afraid of us even biking on Beaumont. I'm sure. And well, now it's really like it's really revamped. The yeah. university should be opening in uh, September. Um, we have a nice restaurant opening right next door. Oh yeah, Le Beaumont. Ah. Yes. So th- that's the owner of uh, Le Toquet, okay. and so they're setting up shop. It should be opening. Uh, in the next uh, few weeks and uh, like I said it's very accessible um, we're very close to our clientele uh, this way as well it's easy to get downtown it's, it's very, very central absolutely so we really really enjoy uh, this area it's just very residential you know it's a lot of families with young children you know I was talking I was talking with some friends uh, and there's a lot of them coming back to Montreal mm-hmm. the accessibility is just so important I understand totally what you're saying mm-hmm. Um, I got to be honest with you, uh, from all the organization, and I want to be careful with how I say this because I don't want it to come out mean or anything like that. But, you know, over the last 11 years, throughout all the organizations and the leaders of the organizations that I had the privilege of working with, I think your organization is amongst the ones that I always felt that we should not need to have this Mm -hmm. organization. I so agree with you. Uh, The Missing Children's Network was founded following the kidnapping of a little four-year-old boy from Montreal. He was playing in front of his house with another buddy when this man just drove up and he'd filled the front seat of his car with a mountain of like lollipops and all that. And he invited the young boys into his car and a four-year-old Maurice was seduced, if I can say, you know, in front, looking at all those candies mm-hmm. and he just wanted to climb in, get a handful and sure. be on his way. And unfortunately, uh, his little body was found uh, a few days later by Montreal police and he lived the worst abuse uh, possible My and uh, um, and was murdered. And it really moved these two women from Montreal to take action. Um I think there's nothing more precious than the well-being of our children. Sure. And, uh, I think we anyone who has uh, young children um, in their lives, we value just how precious they are. Uh, We value their innocence and we want to keep them innocent and being spontaneous in life, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, our organization helps when parents are really faced with the worst nightmare possible. And uh, I've been with the network for almost 25 years. And to this day, I cannot really imagine a worse tragedy than not knowing where your child is and will you ever see your child again. For sure. And I would like to be out of business for the right reasons, which means, you know, we've built that safe world. There are no more missing children and our kids are safe. But until that day, 
happens, um, the need for this organization will continue Absolutely. to Absolutely. And it, it's, to be it's there. very valuable, the work that you do. But before, because I want to, you know, we're going to discuss a lot of the things that you do. And uh, of course, I know you guys very personally because I had pleasure of working with you mm -hmm. uh but i was looking at uh, i was just doing some background work and I, I saw a little bit of your profile and you come from education so how does someone go from you know running a daycare to you know running this sort of organization i think it's just circumstances um i am a uh, daycare educator yeah. i was a teacher for five years i ran uh, two daycare centers for uh, almost 13 years after that i taught also adult education at uh, Marie Victorin on the english side i was teaching early childhood uh, i had two courses for uh, almost like three years i would say and I think at one point I just needed a new challenge, but I knew that I always wanted to be working on behalf of children and on behalf of uh, families. And uh, one of my former colleagues was the sister of one of the founders, uh, Susan Armstrong okay. and Marcella Mars started this organization. Mabin was Susan's uh, sister and uh, she also ran a daycare center for a number of years. And then she joined the Missing Children's Network as their director of uh, prevention. And we met for coffee at one point and she was telling me how uh, much this organization had grown and that her sister needed help in fundraising and they were now looking to uh, launch pre uh, prevention and education program for students but also for parents and of course that uh, clicked. that clicked right away you know and I said you know like this is something I think I would really enjoy doing so I was first hired as their director of development I helped out with the fundraising, securing partnerships, and then playing a role in setting up the prevention program. So I was able to uh, do some of the seminars for parents. And, and I mean, that is, that's what gets me going. It's mm -hmm. that passion to, um, that, that passion for children, you know, for children to really live a happy uh, a childhood, to be able to develop to their full potential, uh, just the way I was able to do, you know. Um, I'm from an Italian background as well. Uh, you know, my parents immigrated in 1952. They had to leave Italy after the war, like a lot of immigrants uh -huh. did, you know. Uh, they left their countries. They didn't know the, the, the language. They didn't know the culture, but they worked really, really hard. They wanted to give us a better life. So, you know, I didn't grow up with all the brand names, accessories, and fashion. Neither did I, don't worry. <laughs> you know, but uh, we had everything. My yeah. mom was at home, took care of us, cooked our meals, picked us up from school. We were able to let her know right away what was going on, you know. Um, and that's how I want children to grow up too, you know, yeah. knowing that people care about them and not fear going to play in the front yard because someone will drive up mm. and invite you to take some uh, candies and you'll you'll be separated or snatched from your family and your community yeah. for uh, forever like that i cannot fathom mm. and so i just transitioned my skills and um, but when i got to this all i wanted to do was really prevent uh, children but obviously you know for a lot of community organizations, without the funding, yeah. we can't realize these uh, programs. We can't create pedagogical tools, for example. It's difficult to, um, uh, to animate the workshops, create the workshops, offer them, you know? So at one point, the fundraising just took a lot of uh, my time, and I had to kind of take a step back from education. But anytime there was an opportunity to create a tool, design a program, uh, that got my juices going. Yeah. And even now as director general, um, my passion remains just making this little corner of the world a much smarter, a much safer place for our kids, just building stronger communities for everyone. For sure. Now, for those listening that are... Um that are from Quebec and they're maybe more familiar with the French name. It's Le, Les Raisons Enfants Retour. And I think people know it a lot more yes. under the French name. Um, just before we go on, tell me a little bit about the organization. What is... Um uh, the, the Missing Children's Network. So the Missing Children's Network was founded back in 1985, as I mentioned, following the abduction and murder of four-year-old uh, Maris Bien. Um, our mission is to support parents whose child is missing. We intervene in every type of disappearance, whether the child has been kidnapped by a stranger, taken to another country by one of the parents, or whose child has run away. And we also uh, intervene in cases where 
the disappearance just seems to be very mysterious. And I can think of Ariel yeah. Kouakou. Um, to this day, we are not quite sure. Uh, did he accidentally fall in the river on the morning of the March 12, 2018? Or was he uh, kidnapped? Mm-hmm. So we provide a su- emotional support to the families, uh, crisis intervention. And we work very closely with law enforcement, so we produce, circulate the search notices for the children. Now we use a lot of social media, so in real time, we can notify an entire community that we're on, on the lookout for a child whose life we we fear. Um, we do all the uh, um, the support work that uh, comes from se- sending out the, the uh, search notices, for example. So if we receive any information, any tips, we will record them and then pass them on to police. So we are not investigators you know we don't duplicate the work of police that's their job they're specialized our job is to do perhaps what police is uh, unable to do because of their uh, mandates and also because we're a nonprofit organization so we you know have a little bit more flexibility we can really think outside of the box and we can work with partners that can create opportunities so that we can rapidly find missing children um and to prevent kids from going missing, uh, we've also developed a, a comprehensive prevention and education program that's tailored for very young children, preteens, teens, also for adults, so for the parents, educators, and the law enforcement as well. So for almost, for over 34 years, uh, we've really been dedicated to the search for missing children, reuniting families, and to the prevention of their uh, abductions, aggression, and exploitation. I want to talk a little bit more about prevention a little bit later, but I was always curious, how is the organization structured over here? I mean, you have people obviously that, that manage the different cases, when something happens, when there's a new alert coming out, I mean, is everyone, uh, is it like an all hands on deck kind of thing? Mm-hmm. We leave the the previous cases kind of in the back burner and you have everyone focused on one thing or how does it work? Okay. Well, it's a very good question. Uh, right now, we we are a team of eight professionals. Um, I have two uh, case managers, uh, Patrick and Nancy, that intervene in all our cases involving missing children. So they're the ones who will take all the calls from parents, uh, try to reassure them, try to answer their questions, provide information, or try to just get additional information that can help us locate missing yeah. children. They're also the ones that will communicate with uh, law enforcement because it's important to share the information, get the updates so that we can target the the search as well. and do all the necessary follow-ups, producing the the post to getting it up on social media, for example. I also have two educators that are in the school, so their job is really to meet with groups of students and empower them with the knowledge and the skills. The rest are support staff that either do fundraising, the accounting, for example, uh, or take care of our communications. Whenever there's a high critical case, for example, Ariel, we have an Amber Alert, for example, uh, those are days where just we... We do, even if we're in the middle of a fundraising campaign, that takes absolutely. That's put on the uh, on the back burner. The goal is to get the information, to disseminate the information as soon as possible, so that we can find the child as soon as possible. Take care of the family and just make sure that all the proper steps have been taken um, that will allow us to recover uh, the missing child. Um, but there could be days also where we're working on because the, the Amber Alert, for example, has been launched, and I think everyone is familiar with the Amber Alert. It's used in high-critical cases where we really uh, fear for the child's uh, physical or uh, mental uh, health, for example. But that could be a day also where we we might get a tip regarding another case. Well, you still have to take that tip. It's very important because it can lead to recovering that missing child or a parent who's having a very difficult day because they've heard that there's another child that's missing, you, we still have to take the time to try to reassure them, letting them know where they're at with, where or where we are at with their case yeah. right now and what we can do as well, you know. Um, and sometimes some of these parents will ask if they can be put in touch with the current family, um, in, just in case they just need to talk with someone because they now know. These families know what that family is now going mm-hmm. through, and they can be each other's support. And, and I assume that things may vary depending on gender or age. I mean, uh, do, As- you, do you work differently, for example, if it's like a, an eight-year-old kid versus an 80-year-old 
person that may have some health well, related issues? Well, most of issues? the, uh, I would say that most of the cases we deal with have to be children. So 18 years and the younger were missing okay. children's network. We do have some adult cases, some young adults before the age of 25, I would say, you know, uh, and definitely uh, the way we work uh, is differently depending on the disappearance. Um, vulnerable children so that for us it's kids under the age of 13 we're not quite sure did they run away um you know we're not quite sure what the circumstances are for us we consider that that child's life could be uh, at risk uh -huh. they're not able to make the proper decisions they yeah. can't really take care of themselves so those cases will be dealt with in a more urgent manner um and it will be this you know we'll work very closely with uh, law enforcement as well sharing out that information and also we will enlist the help of uh, the media and and different partners as well. So the more information we have about a child, the better we can target the search. For example, uh, you know, a child that we know likes to hang out at the cinema or loves to take the metro. So we'll work with uh, the uh, Société de Transport de Montréal to get the information out to all uh, the, the, the workers within the metro system, for example, just to be on the lookout. Um, with Teens, it's very different as well, uh, depending on their age. And again, depending on their circumstances, um, is it the first time they're running away? Um, you know, uh, are they hanging out with the wrong people, for yeah. example? Um, is there any indication that the, ch the, the kids may be involved with sexual exploitation, drugs, alcohol, um, etc.? So those we're going to handle with a little bit more white gloves, I would yeah. say. So we obviously will not um, broadcast the photograph, uh, you know, the same way we would if an Ariel goes missing, a Cédrica Provencher goes yeah. missing, only to protect the integrity of the youth. And we're going to be very careful as to what information we will share with the public, you know, because we also have to keep in mind that these teens will eventually be found. They will return back to their families, back to their communities. So we have to evaluate, do we need to say that this teen has problems with mental health issues, this this teen tried to commit suicide, or this teen is hanging out with a questionable uh, a group of people or may be involved in sexual exploitation. So anything that can damage or, uh, the reputation of the teen, we're going to be very careful mm -hmm. with what information we're going to give out. And Again, we're going to try to get as many, uh, much information as possible. The, uh, the hangouts that the the kid, uh, uh, you know, what are their interests, their hobbies, um, any problems that they may have been encountering before running away, for example. So all this information allows us to work with sometimes specific partners that can help us recover these kids. And sometimes these kids can be outside of Quebec. So we will work with the Canadian Center for Child Protection that's based in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. So they have different partners in the different provinces uh, uh, throughout Canada. So yeah. we will enlist their help to get the information out. And kids that are taken out of uh, the country by one of the parents, that commonly we call them the parental abduction. That too often we will not put out a search notice. Um, in many cases, we have an idea which country the child may have been brought to. So, what happens to. in these cases? Are, 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 are is this the the bulk of your the the, the, the files? I remember once you were telling me that the the most the biggest number of files that you have to to manage are are mostly related to parents. Yes, in terms of kidnapping, yeah. parental abductions is the most common form of abduction. People mm -hmm. often think it's a criminal abduction only because these type of abductions receive so much media attention. Mm -hmm. Usually the Amber Alert will be launched and we know that time is our worst enemy. So we really, sure. you know, it every second counts. We need to get the information out. And this is within Canada or it's uh, well, it's, US, uh, Europe, it's international. Yeah, it's international that uh, uh, criminal abductions will get the most uh, attention, but they represent less than 1% of all the cases that we deal with, except we can agree, you know, one Ariel is already one too many, one Cedrica should sure. never be. Yeah. So I think we can all agree that just one missing child is already one too mm -hmm. many in our province and across Canada as well. Um, in uh, for our offices, um, the, the runaways account for the majority of the cases that we deal with. Up to 90% of the cases that we um, are asked to, to help out involve youth between the ages of 12 to 17 that have either run away from home or from a group. You know, home. Th and I don't know if, if it's a new thing, but 
it, you know, the last couple of years, it's been getting a lot of media attention. Mm-hmm. These, uh, you know, these young teenage, mostly girls uh, running away. And I got to tell you, as a, as a father of two girls, uh, every time that alert goes off, I, I think my heart skips a Absolutely. beat. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a new thing or if it's something that we're witnessing more and more like the last couple, two, three years. I mean, mm-hmm. that's when I started noticing mm-hmm. it. Um, it. It's incredible to see that uh, these young girls just, you know, and... Uh, I don't know if most of them are in youth centers already because there's been cases of girls disappearing yes. from from youth centers, but there's other cases where they just, you know, left the house to go to yes. school and just, um, uh, you know, they never they never came back. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know if it's recent or not, but, you know, most of these cases are often, is it is it usually linked to kidnapping or is it more linked to like an organized network, mm-hmm. um, you know, that has perfected luring uh, you know, troubled teens that come from a, like a, a fragile background. And, you know, like you mentioned, sexual exploitation is involved as well. Well, um, r- teen runaways have always been around, unfortunately, yeah. except up until 2016, um, there was very little attention regarding runaways. Uh, actually, I think probably the public was also like desensitized and not really understanding why youth are running away um, and why they keep running away, for example. And in 2016, um, uh, we had a couple of parents who uh, uh, used the media in a very brilliant manner to draw attention to the fact that... How? uh, Well, because one of the parents worked for a uh, local uh, and well-known newspaper. Ah, That's right. I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when his uh, 14-year-old daughter, beautiful girl, beautiful girl, did well in school and all, but unfortunately, you know, started to uh, uh, frequent uh, questionable uh, individuals that promised her a more glamorous life and so on and so forth. And uh, um, he put it out on, the dad went on social media asking for help and the the media um, got involved. Uh, and I think, some, you know, for many years, we tried to draw attention to the fact that there was an issue regarding runaway youth because we, we'd seen it in our offices. We speak with other organizations across Canada or in North America. Um, even the police, I will be honest with you, seem to be desensitized because there's so many youths. Just in Quebec, there's over 5,000 reports every year. Any given year, there's 5,000 reports uh, re- uh, that are signaled to a law enforcement. And in the majority of these cases, the kids have run multiple times. So often even the police felt, well, she'll come back. And and I have to also say that uh, up to 65% come home within the first hours that they decide they decide to leave the mm-hmm. home, okay? And up to 90% will come home within the first few days. So because a lot of them do come home, come home on their own, uh, we had seen that not every law enforcement or every police officer was really taking it seriously. These kids are going to come uh, come back. And when they didn't, after two, three weeks, then we would get a call. Or they would call the parents and say, did you get any news from uh, your daughter? And like, uh, no. So then we would get the calls and get involved. Mm-hmm. But three weeks later, you have to ask yourself, where were these kids? Who took care of them? What was yeah. asked of them? How did they survive, you know? But in 2016, finally, it was like an abscess was broken. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and again, there might have been a lot of... Uh, you know, misconception, thinking that a lot of these youths came from broken homes, uh, very uh, uh, dysfunctional dysfunctional families, for yeah. example, or were, were running away, were fleeing situations of abuse, you know, uh, etc. And when these parents came forward in 2016, well, these were French Canadian girls from some of our biggest cities here, like in Laval, Montreal, uh, girls that came from very good backgrounds, you know, families, uh, uh, both mom and dad were professionals. And Antoine's, we looked at it differently. It wasn't just kids from the cultural groups, uh, you know, uh, uh, et cetera. And it's like, wow, this is happening in our own backyard. And I, like I said, the, the absence was broken and we start to hear more about uh, kids running away. And yeah. we start, and that gave us the opportunity to explain why kids are running away. And yes, a lot of them do run away from the group homes and a lot do run away from home. We have what we call our spontaneous runaways and the planned runaways. So the spontaneous are usually those who are still living at home 
and they might have had a big blowout with their parents or something happened uh, at school and they're upset. And so they just walk out, slam the door and they walk out and they walk because they left now with no money, yeah. none of their possessions, etc. After a few hours, you've been walking, you're tired, you're hungry, you're thirsty. So they either call home or they show up back at home saying, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, mom. But then we have the planned runaways. And usually those are the kids that are fleeing a problem that they think is so insurmountable that no one will understand them. So they're asking, actually, the running away is a cry for help. They're escaping a mm -hmm. situation. Um, but running away is, they realize fast enough is not really the answer because there's so many predators. And unfortunately, those that prey upon our runaway youth, they know how to read if, you know, you're a vulnerable youth, yeah. you know, and the fact that when you run away and you don't have money, you don't have, you know, how are you going to live where you can get your next meal from? Uh, you need to change your clothing, you know, you need to sleep. They offer, so, the, they offer the fake support kind of thing. This is it. But when you're, you're looking for attention and affection, you misinterpret <clears throat> that as being a sign of attention and affection. Yeah. Oh, somebody cares about me. No, I remember there was a lot of attention and I, there was even a series on TV. Yes. I didn't watch it because I didn't have the heart for it, but my wife did. Uh, it was called Figures. Figures, yes. I, and, that brought in it shed a lot of light i mean i don't know how fictional it was mm. um but i remember it was being talked about consistently unfortunately uh, george it's the reality for a lot of runaway right. teens we have been compiling statistics on runaways uh, for the last uh, seven years and uh, the majority uh, are young girls between the ages of uh, 14 and 15 and uh one out of every three of these youths will fall victim to exportation, to exportation. And we also know, according to the, the statistics, so these are the cases that we actually handle in our offices, another 30% could have been exposed to sexual exploitation. So the danger is really, really there. This is why prevention education is so crucial. We need to speak to our children um, about these real dangers, how adults groom them as well, because it's a, all a grooming. It's a it's a well orchestrated dance where mm -hmm. you, you you make them feel good about themselves. You show them a glamorous life. How easy it is to make some quick money. Yeah. You understand? You but see, you, they're exposed to all of that. I'm, I'm curious to know though that from all these girls that have been involved in these prostitution rings or you know victims of. Uh, sexual exploitation, how many of them actually come back and denounce it or, uh, you know, uh, explain what's going on, who's behind it? Mm. Is that happening or it is, is it kept secret or well, they're afraid? I think it's a combination of all of that. Uh, uh, we don't have actual numbers uh, regarding how many actually do denounce, but I do know that in the last few years, several programs have seen the day, I think, of Les Survivantes, which are two police officers from uh, Montreal mm -hmm. uh, Police, that have actually built a beautiful program where they try to uh, support the victims, so uh, survivors of uh, exploitation, and uh, try to offer them like that a better life, for example, and go around meeting with survivors, but also speaking with groups of, of students just to sensitize them to the reality. Like this is not love, you know. Uh, th there's a different. Uh, kids need to identify, for example, what are healthy relationships, whether they're friendships or their first love relationships. Yeah. Uh, as teens, for example, this project Mobilis. Um, there are so many. different different projects that uh, uh, exist today, um, not too many of them will denounce, unfortunately, because there's always that fear of reprisals or uh, uh, girls that um, are... The way that they're kept behind by their pimps, predators, boyfriends, we can call them whatever. Uh, some of them are heavily into drugs as well. So the minute uh, the drugs are being withheld, they are in withdrawal. So they will do anything to get that quick fix again. Mm -hmm. Or they've been uh, threatened uh, into believing that if they do go to police, for example, uh, that uh, some harm will come either to them or to a close family member, a sister, for example. Yeah. So there's... The, the, they're manipulated and they're kept in this world in such a way as well. And again, I'm going to insist on prevention and education and uh, 
in 2017, we actually launched a program called Aimé Shine. And uh, Aimé Shine really targets uh, kids from 10 to 13. Uh, it's a bilingual program. It's one of its kind in the province. Bilingual program for preteens all across Quebec that can be delivered either in the schools or via an electronic platform uh, that we use called uh, Reacts. And it really teaches children about consent, um, uh, trusting their instincts, um, understanding the components of healthy uh, relationships and friendships, setting boundaries, physical, emotional, and virtual, because social media plays a big role yeah. in luring kids today. Oh, sure. The importance of denouncing, and we also created, uh, um, uh, on, and it's available on our uh, website, an online directory of programs and services across Quebec for survivors of uh, sexual ex exploitation and their uh, caregivers. Have you seen results from this? Uh, well, we're in the process of evaluating uh, the program, so we should start seeing uh, the first evaluations come up. What I do, what I can tell you, uh, George, is that every week when my uh, uh, youth workers come back, every week they share with us stories of young girls, mostly young girls, that come up and will share uh, the fact that they were either abused, you know, uh, you know either abused or wanted to run away for whatever reason, uh, et cetera. So we're able to guide them. So the fact that um, they're able to come up after the the the, the workshop and they, and they can trust our educators and then we can give, get them the proper help because we will work with the school to make sure that these kids do not become tomorrow statistics. Mm -hmm. That is so important. How do you cope with you know, so much stress and all that urgency that's associated to your work. Obviously, as soon as an alert goes up, you automatically know that you're going to be dealing with frustration, hopelessness, you know, all this mm -hmm. emotional roller coaster uh, coming, you know, from the families. Uh, and, you know, you know, talking about your, your, your youth workers coming and telling you all these stories. I mean, it's such a huge burden to yeah. carry. Uh, I, I don't know how you do it. Well, I think we're a strong team. And, um, we share a lot within the team as well, so we can really support ourselves. And as you noticed, our offices have an open air concept. So right away, we can detect if someone is having a difficult day, for mm -hmm. example, and we can provide that support uh, as well. Um, I think when we're in a high emergency situation, I'll be honest, we're on adrenaline. Mm -hmm. we, we just stay focused. We know what has to be done, how it needs yeah, to be but done. See, that's on, at, on, on the moment. Yes. But then after, like you said, you're not involved in all the investigative stuff. No. I mean, that's the police uh, case files. They take care of it. But you're on the sidelines. So, I mean, you're constantly in communication with the family. You're, you're communicating with other different partners. You're so much more emotionally involved mm -hmm. um, in this whole procedure that it's very difficult for you to kind of get your mind off it. Well, I mean, you, you can't because this is your yes, reality. This is what your work yes. is. But, you know, it. we have to find what works for us. You know, whether it's you walk out and you just go for a walk, for example. Um, I do a bit of yoga as well, you know. Uh, I'll speak about it, you know, like to my parents. I'm lucky enough to still have uh, my mm -hmm. parents who are very supportive as well. Um you know, and you, you uh, I have other staff members, they have young children. So when they go home, they have to focus on their family as well. Um, I think we do a lot of what we call the self-care as well. We have to remind ourselves that we need to take time for ourselves. And sometimes we do get too close to the, uh, uh, to the situation. We have no choice in that you want you want so much for that child to be found, for example, and you feel the parents' uh, pain. And and just the way we react, we realize, oh my God! Like you know, uh, I I I listened to a song while I was driving home, and I just started to cry. So I know that I now need to take care of myself, uh, you know. And sometimes I'll spend time for myself personally with my niece. I have a five-year-old niece and an eighteen-month-old uh, baby nephew. Mm -hmm. And when I'm with them, I'm just with them. Yeah, peace. Yeah. Yes, you know, and and they remind me why I'm doing this work as well. And I want that promise of a better tomorrow for them. Mm -hmm. And we're going to keep fighting for them. And, you know, it, it could sound cliche to say we have to find that balance, but it's not always 
It's not always easy. Mm -hmm. That I'll be very honest with you. It's not always easy. And on easy. top of that, I mean, it, it seems that for certain cases, it just never ends, right? I mean, yeah. you must be dealing with files. What is the longest running file that oh, you're managing? It's Clifford Sherwood. He went missing back on October 21st, 1954. He oh, was my only nine years old. Um, he's uh, Clifford was from Verdun. So he was going to school, walking to school with one of his friends and just... The, both of them just disappeared from the surface uh, of the earth. Um, we've done a lot of work. I mean, through the years, we worked with John Walsh from America's Most Wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and we, tr you know, we we've d uh, we had uh, Clifford featured in documentaries and a lot of TV so wait, shows. So, sorry. So how does that work? Because the organization began in 84, 85. Yes. How does that story come on your desk kind of thing? I mean, do they, they is there a fa like they lost that much hope that they're like, listen, it's been 30 years already. Yes. Well, because there was no other organization right. until the organization was founded, right? So when parents or someone close to the family uh, came to hear that there was a missing children's organization, the parents knocked on our door. So, you know, um, I wasn't here when Mrs. Shorewood Clifford's uh, mom came to see uh, Susan and uh, Marcel, but, uh, you know, I think she came to see us in 1988. Uh, he'd just been missing since 1954. So that's, and he was nine years old. Uh, so we we tried to get all the information, tried to see if there was a police record. And because all those years have passed, the first thing we did is we uh, we went to, uh, we asked the RCMP to produce an aged enhanced mm -hmm. photograph of uh, Clifford. And then we worked with the media. The mom was able to give some interviews and that generated a lot of tips as well. So did, did that open the door to other cases? Absolutely, that before? absolutely. Yeah. The more the organization got known, um, uh, uh, all at once, all parents were coming out saying, you know, I haven't seen my my kids in 28 years. Uh, my child ran away four years ago. Uh, so we have a lot of cases. And if you look at our missing child children's poster, mm -hmm. there are some that uh, uh, date to before the origin of uh, the organization, you know, yeah. but... Um, we never hesitate uh, to take on a case and uh, to reach out to law enforcement. And today with social media, uh, people just share. We can see, you know, that no one remains indifferent. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as we post uh, something, boom, in real time, uh, uh, you know, within minutes, uh, th that, that, that photograph will get, you know, hundreds of hits and thousands of shares and uh, uh, tens of thousands of uh, views. It's it's amazing how quickly you know, the word gets around. I, I'm thinking about these families and obviously it's, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a father myself and, you know, I can't think of a situation where a family would think of giving up or, mm -hmm. you know, letting go. But has there ever been a situation where you, for example, personally, or a family that you work with or different partners that you work with, um, they seem to kind of lose hope or they seem to just want to give it up? Say, look, yeah. we've done everything we could. Well, we do see that because uh, it is very difficult for parents. So uh, what's your role in that? I mean, you have to kind of be the foundation, right? You're, yes. you're, you're the tough person here. And you see this, what do you do? Do you kind well, of encourage them? Do you want to keep going? I mean, how does it work? Well, I think first we always just validate, but we listen. We just listen and uh, we listen, we validate where the, the family is at today, you know. And sometimes we just come to the conclusion that today is really not a good day, but tomorrow might be better. And we try to find something else that we can do that can maybe help us open new doors mm -hmm. uh, on this case, right? Because uh, it's very difficult for parents, and especially when the years go by. Um, and there's, as the years go by, there's also less information that tends to come in mm -hmm. as well, right? So uh, these families, the best way I can describe is they, they seem to live like on a roller coaster. So today, uh, they get a call from law enforcement because there's a tip, and that tip seems to be very positive. So they hold on to that, that maybe yeah. their answer is coming. And then when the tip becomes negative, it's like they have to pick themselves up the floor again. So our job is to pick them mm -hmm. up and almost like carry them symbolically mm -hmm. to make it through the next day as well, you know? Um, I... To my knowledge, 
I've never seen a family give up, mm -hmm. but I have seen families taking a back step and just say, I don't want to do media uh, right now. Uh, you know, um, please don't circulate uh, uh, the poster for the time being. Yeah. Um, if it's a milestone anniversary, they're going to tell us, I don't, you know, I don't want to do a special event uh, to remember that day. So we know that this is where they are in their life at this point as well. So we really, it, it's a personal journey, you know, um, and we remind each other at the end of the conversation. Because I, mean, I can't tell how many conversations we've had with parents where uh, I really feel it's like desperate, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, what else can I say to this mom, to this dad? Uh, and then as we, we talk and then we, we come back to the present also, you know, how's your daughter? How's Marjorie? Uh, how's your dad doing? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to do this weekend? Do you have any plans for mm -hmm. Mother's Day? Yeah. You know, and it brings them back to the present to remind them that life still goes on. It must be it must be very tricky for you, um, especially to draw the line of what needs to be done because you get so close to the families and with all the expertise that you have, the knowledge and, you know, the network, the vast network that you've established. Is there a time where you feel like more can be done, but because it's not your, you know, your, you know, your, yes. your, your, your terrain, you know, it's not your field. You can't, you don't want to step on anyone's toes. You feel, for example, that, you know, the police or the authorities aren't doing more mm -hmm. than they should, but meanwhile they are, but because there's this sense of attachment that you've created, yes. you feel like, come on, let's go. We, yeah. There's more. Well, I think we're the parents uh, advocates because we advocate for their child on their behalf, uh, George, you know, and I won't, I think on the whole, a lot is being done uh, by law enforcement to, to recover these children. But sometimes I really believe Something else could be done, especially when certain sightings uh, come in, uh, you know, just to go to take that extra step and go that extra mile for that case. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes we feel like, you know, when is the next good tip going to come in, for example? And uh, what if this is the right tip? Yeah. And we, you know, and we don't act on it. And then three years later, we find out that you know, we could have put an end to a case three years uh, sooner, for right, example. Right. And I'll give you an example. It was not one of our cases, but it happened in the States a few years ago involving a young girl called J.C. Dugar, and some people might recognize the name. Uh, she'd been missing, uh, I think, for she was 11 years old when she was literally snatched in front of her house. And she'd been missing for 19 years. And she had been held sequestered uh, in the backyard, this makeshift uh, hut you could call that the predator had created and unfortunately she also was she also gave birth to two of his kids so imagine goodness. he's not only your rapist but uh, you bore two of his uh, kids and uh, Neighbors would hear, this is in California, you know, so neighbors would hear sounds from the backyard. They would call police and police would go to the house, but never went further, never went further. Had they gone further and saying, but, you know, let's just check the backyard, for example, maybe that girl would have been rescued a long time yeah. before. And maybe she would, you know, never have given birth to to those kids, for example, and I, I think she's a, she's a wonderful mom. And from what I've heard, she loves her kids, and she's you know she, they're they're really her kids mm -hmm. today. But she could have been spared mm -hmm. all this unnecessary grief, and so could have her family and her entire community. Because when children are snatched in such a way, it leaves a void in the community, and people are scared. Uh, you know, is there a predator? Is my is my child at risk? For example, and we've seen it in cases of kidnapping, like when Cedric was kidnapped mm -hmm. many years ago. Uh, I remember the grandfather telling me, Peter, for three weeks, the parks were empty in Three Rivers. N parents refused for their kids to go out. It was the middle of summer, weeks before these kids went back to school and they were barricaded uh, with fear also, in fear, which is really not the way to educate our children either because what happens then if somebody approaches them, would they know what to do, for example? Yeah. They know how to get help, where to go for help and what to say in those situations, right, you right. know? So I think our philosophy is you've got to do everything that you can with the information that you have just to just close a door. You know, if someone has, you get a sighting for us, it's opening a door, then just close this door so that we don't, we're not left with doubts many years later, wondering if that could have led us somewhere else, for example. Yeah. What is your most, uh, you know, if, well, 
has there been or have there been if there's more than one you know your, your most disappointing moments i mean you've probably seen so many things i mean yeah. what has been a, a moment where you were just so like devastated and just like and you probably deal with a lot of these things obviously you know kids showing up deceased yes probably wouldn't help but what was that moment that you were really like just down like your most disappointing moment i think was the first uh for me, it was the first case that I was asked to work on, even though I was director of development. It was Jaleya Campo, who went missing in the 19, June of 1995. I'd been here only nine months. And um, my role was to coordinate the poster distribution with Laval police so and work with printers, because back then we did things the old-fashioned sure. way, yeah. you know, uh, creating the posters and then printing them and uh, and working with the messenger services so that we can send them to all those who wanted to help out with the poster distribution. And uh, I think four days into her disappearance, um, the call came in that her body had been found in a ravine not far from uh, her backyard. And it was uh, just like a, a devastating moment because she was only nine years old. Uh, this is, I think she went missing June 8th, June 9th, something like that. She was found days before the end of school year. And uh, I remember in our offices, we had volunteers and the staff just pack, uh, uh, preparing uh, the uh, posters, labeling them. And I went out and I had to tell them uh, that, you know, law enforcement had called us and, you know, this is the news. And I could see everybody just looking just as crushed. And, uh, and they just continued to pack, you know, like nobody stopped. It was just they continued to pack. And I remember thinking, why are they still packing and and labeling like there's no more need? But it just didn't register yeah. because you're you, you're in, in that adrenaline mode. And I remember just wanting to quit. And I remember I went to speak to my director, Susan, and I just said, I can't do this, Susan. I, you know, I just remember thinking, I came here to save lives, not to lose lives. And she says, you know, I can understand your disappointment, Pina, but she says, we... We're here to prevent these things from happening. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes these situations happen. But for me, I think I will never forget that. Uh, Jalen Riendo is another uh, uh, file that I'd really, really worked on. Again, with coordinating uh, 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 poster distribution, working with the media, uh, giving them information, updates uh, along the way. And then um, uh, many years later, uh, almost 11 years later, Montreal police had invited me uh, to just go to the police station one morning because we were going to meet a family, but they were not. They did not tell me which family and why. They just wanted me to be at the major crimes uh, office for 6 o'clock on May 4th. So I went. I uh, Actually, I really thought we'd found a child. I really thought that. And uh, five minutes before the family arrived, they, uh, the commander told me, I think we should tell you why, Pina. And we just found the remains of uh, Jalene, the family's coming in. And, you know, that thought of like, oh, my God, in a few seconds, all their hope is dashed. Mm -hmm. There's no more hope. And being in the room while the, the, it was announced to her family was, uh, I think, something you, no matter what profession you have, can never, ever prepare you for. Uh, yeah, for getting those news. Oh, and to see and the reaction and uh, of the family and uh, uh, to this day I can't even put into words what I witnessed uh, that morning. But um, and you just feel so powerless, mm -hmm. just feel so powerless, uh, and you're angry also that another child was lost. You know because someone. Um, tricked her into mm -hmm. whatever, you mm -hmm. know, into following him to doing something better, uh, you know, whatever, offered her something. And it was like, no, these situations got to stop, you know. Uh, I think for me, the worst is that, um, is every time we've lost a child, is what could we have done to prevent it? What could we have done to respond even more faster, you know, so that we would have recovered them sooner? Um, and to be honest, uh, uh, if I say anything else after that, it's uh, when you approach partners and you, because um, we have to fund the organization, we don't receive government uh, funding for our, uh, for the operations. And you speak with partners and you're told no for whatever reason. You know, I take it personally. You want to shake them up. Yes, I take it personally because 
like this cause has become my baby. It's 25 yeah. years. And, yeah. and when I speak with partners, for example, I know that in my heart, I carry all these children and all these families yeah. and I know what it means mm -hmm. to them. And I know what the expectation, the dreams of my staff are as well. So this, this is the vision you're selling people and you're told, no, it's like, ugh, you know, and it's crazy also to just come to terms with that reality that you have to assume that role, right? That there's going to be uh, these very difficult moments. Yes. And, you know, at some, I mean, have you, and it's, you know, I don't want to ask you this question because, I mean, you're, you're still human, right? Mm -hmm. you, you have the emotions, but I mean, have you come to terms with that reality? Have you like, I don't want to say lost the emotion, but how, oh, never, yeah. never. You, I can tell you that every time it happens, it feels like it's the first time. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's something we cannot get used to. You know, all I know is that when it happens, we're in a proactive mode. We like again, we know exactly what has to be done. In, in the steps that have to be taken and uh, and right away it's it, like the creativity starts in terms of which other partner can we approach and and I have to say as much as we see the worst in humanity I've seen the best in humanity mm -hmm. as well and I think that has been the most rewarding mm -hmm. experience for me and I think for a lot of my staff uh, as well um but I can tell you that nothing ever prepares you for that. It, mm -hmm. You still feel this shock, almost like this disbelief that, oh my God, it happened again, you know? And, and how can anyone, how can anyone want to hurt a child? Yeah. And why? Like, we just can't, and we should never wrap our minds around that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's this emotion behind it that drives us to find the answers or to just keep pushing on behalf of uh, these kids. It's the motivating factor at the end, you know? And every tragedy becomes a motivating factor to want to do more prevention. Because we realize with every child that leaves us their life as, as a legacy, uh, uh, an heritage, we mm -hmm. could say, we, do, we need to do better. We need to do better. You, you spoke a little bit about social media. How has that changed the game for you? Because there's a good side of social yes. media and there's definitely a bad one, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, everything happening now, I'm thinking again about the young teenage girls that are that are leaving. A lot of that has to do with social media and there's yes. a lot of luring techniques now yes. on social media. Um, but there's also a good side uh, and you mentioned it. I mean, uh, dispersing the news Absolutely. You know, the snap of your fingers. I mean, yes. you know, hundreds of thousands of views and, you know, you mobilize a community quicker than ever before. That's right. Um, how are you guys uh, juggling with social media? Well, we try to make the best use of it. So we do use it uh, to vehicle our messages, especially when a child is missing, but also a lot of our prevention messages uh, today. Um, so like we, like you said, uh, in real time, we can really galvanize an entire com community to be uh, on the lookout. Uh, the Amber Alerts also are on uh, social media today. They're, they're geo-targeted. So, uh, you know, whomever is in within... 50 to 100 kilometers of the disappearance are the first to be notified. For example, um, we also have the 24-hour news feed, which is really important because every 15 minutes oh, we can oh, we can ensure that the information of the missing child uh, circulates, for example. Um, we also uh, see through social media when, that children uh, are reported missing. And so on the weekends, you know, a teen doesn't come home, for example, we sit on social media. So right away, we can also get in, uh, privately right, send right. a message to the family and say, listen, this is what we do, blah, blah, blah. And we could really, you know, uh, support them right away, um, no matter what time of the day uh, or night uh, that it happens, um, and put it out on social media as well. So those are all like the good things of uh, social media. Uh, unfortunately, there's also... Uh, the negative aspect, and the negative aspect is that is um, kids that don't use social media properly, you know, by not setting their privacy settings, for right, example, right. by just being an open book, uh, not knowing necessarily the danger of posting certain information, especially personal information, for example, and uh, how easy it is also for predators to prey upon these kids mm -hmm. because it's easy to get their attention. You know, um, you send uh, a text every hour, you know, and it, it can give the teen this false impression that, oh, 
George really cares about me. Um, I, I get, I wake up in the morning. Oh, he's the first one. How are you doing? Blah blah blah. How was yeah, your day yeah. at lunchtime? How's it going? And and unfortunately, because they, sometimes these kids communicate with you know a week or so, play some of their video games with uh, these people. They think, well, they're not strangers any longer because I know him. No, you yeah. don't know him. You know, and it's easier today to win their uh, uh, trust. Through, because anyone can pretend to be anyone hiding behind a computer, yeah, right? Yeah. Unfortunately. So that part of the social media we see um, has had some negative impact. And I cannot tell you how many uh, uh, kids have different profiles because they know that their parents will yeah. also check. Mm -hmm. And so they go on, they set up uh, profiles under different names. And as a parent, you really don't want to see the photographs yeah. uh, that are uh, posted and also who the, who the friends are on those pages, for example. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really scary, you know. And again, I'm going to go back to prevention, education for parents as well, because technology is advancing so quickly as well. And, you know, it is possible. Um, I mean, we can't keep up with everything, but there's a there's basics, you know, and for, and the basics is first of all, it's just making your home a place uh, of trust mm -hmm. with your children, yeah. you know, and and being their best champion, you know, and uh, and really spending quality time with your kids um, if they have problems, trying to find solutions uh, uh, right away, you know, getting your kids involved in different hobbies so that they develop their self esteem and they learn to belong to the the good gangs yeah. that we want them to be. So there's a lot of work that can be done from the, when they're really really young up until their teens, you know, and just communication is so so key so today let's talk about prevention um obviously it takes up a, a huge part of what you guys do mm -hmm. it occupies a huge space in your operations um where are we in terms of you know this sensitization um is there obviously obviously there's always more that could be done yes yes um but uh where are you at now i mean uh i, I know that you recently created an app yes uh signal 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 uh, so the app is actually an, uh, an application for parents. Uh, it's our modern child identification booklets that we used to do many years ago, either through McDonald's or Jean Coutu um, and the police. We would have one day a year where we would invite the families in these uh, locations and we would take their photograph, fingerprint them, give them uh, an ID, a booklet. Um, and we made it really festive because it's already a scary subject, especially for parents. So we tried to make it as festive and positive as possible. And we've now modernized that platform. So the app uh, is available in English and French, can be downloaded free of charge from the Apple Store or uh, Google. Um, and people can go right on our website and just click on one of those icons and it leads you uh, into, the, uh, into the app. You can take pictures of your child. Uh, you you complete their physical uh, description, and uh, you know, and it's the, the one app we hope parents will never have to use. Yeah. But in the event your child gets lost, like in a public place, you know, you're going uh, sugaring off, uh, uh, you're going to the mall, you're going to Grammy Zoo, etc. Well, you have uh, uh, everything you need uh, to give to police so that they can start searching for your child, uh, for example. So if in case of an emergency, well, then you just uh, either um, send it by text, uh, you can send it by email, just by uh, filling in the proper uh, fields. So that's an app that we launched uh, last year, thanks to TELUS, because it's the help of financial partners such as TELUS that allows us to create uh, these uh, these new tools yeah. that are really fantastic, you know. And again, it's like in real time, you, can, you just send it out, the photograph, are high quality um, depending on your child's age you just you determine also do you want to update a photograph once a year several times a year you get a notification it's time you have some safety tips so it's it's really yeah. a precious tool and we have uh, education programs so we have uh, our how I stay safe how I stay safe our safety workshops for children kindergarten cycle one cycle two so grades one up until four we also do internet safety um, uh, Safety with the children because a lot of children, even though Facebook and a lot of the apps you say you need to be 13 years and older, we're noticing that mm -hmm. uh, kids very, very young are using uh, these tools, so sure. they need to know how to do it. Um, 
Do you have any presence in schools, for example? Yes, uh, that's how we do our pro, our, our workshops. And uh, the uh, our latest Shine Ime, it's a provincial uh, uh, program. Again, made possible thanks to a very generous grant that we received by a, a private family foundation here in Montreal and the Air Canada Foundation that have has also contributed. Uh, so these workshops are offered year-round. Schools, day camps, youth groups, so we can go into the YMCA, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, for example. Uh, the workshops uh, uh, are anywhere between 30 minutes for the very young ones, uh, all the way to secondary five. So they're, they're age appropriate. Uh, we present the content in a very positive manner. We do a lot of role-playing activities for the children. And then we always leave them a little something that they can review with their parents so the parents know that we went into the schools. Look, last year we had our best year ever, George. Uh, over 17,000 children were sensitized. Oh my God. Yes. Tell, tell me something, because obviously it's important to, um, to communicate this information towards the children. But you mentioned before you know, the biggest environment and probably the most important one is at home and what mm -hmm. happens at home. Do you work at all with families like parents? Do you, is there a program to sensitize the, yes. the families and the parents? Yes, we have uh, seminars for parents as well. So again, uh, and sometimes we go into the schools, daycares, but sometimes neighborhoods have gotten together and we meet at a parent's house, for example, and we will go over how to broach the subject, uh, you know, uh, and concretely at the, the different ages, what should we t be talking to the children about? So we give... Uh, concrete examples. It's really hands-on, you know. Um, and we also go into the workplace. So we just uh, recently implemented our lunch and learns. So it's easier sometimes to get uh, parents while they're at work because mm -hmm. after you know, when after day's work, you you you're they're you, disconnected. Yeah, yeah, and you're running to pick them up at daycare, at school. And you got to do supper. You know, prepare supper, homework. And who wants to go back to school after that? It's very hard. So we have these lunch and learns again that are, are adapted, you know, so if uh, um, a group of parents wants to know more about internet safety, we'll talk to them about internet safety, for example. They want to know more about how to prevent runaways mm -hmm. or detect signs of exportation. So we really, we work with these groups on an individual manner to really um, identify what their individual needs are, and then we build the program around it. They're 45 to one hour, 45 minutes to one hour, again, depending on the availability of the, uh, of the employee and um, the goal is to reach as many people as possible. Uh, you know, like you said, you started the show by saying, you know, we should be an organization that should not be yeah. around for the, you know, and if we continue to do that, maybe in the near future, somewhere in the new future, sometime in the new future, near future rather, we can say, oh, mission accomplished, right? I, I That's my goal. I hope so. I hope so. What are you What are you working on now? Is there anything that we're uh, looking forward to? I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly when this episode will air. I'm thinking probably close to the summertime, maybe. Okay. Um, what are you What are you working on? Uh, I know that there's a big race now, but we're we're in April, so yes. I mean, by the time yes. this airs, it'll have happened already. But um, what's happening from now until the end of the year that? Well, we're going to be marking International Missing Children's Day on May 25th. Um, for that day, we have uh, dozens of uh, daycares uh, across uh, Quebec that are going to walk 25 minutes in honor of missing children and raise uh, some funds that support the search for missing kids. We have a beautiful Dragon Bolt uh, challenge on Sunday, June 9th. Um, so we encourage people to come down the Lachine, the canal, uh, cheer us on, make a donation again in support of uh, our critical mission. On August 8th, we have our annual uh, golf uh, tournament at uh, Hillsdale and uh, we for the first time in our history we're, we are also planning a fundraising event in uh, Quebec City it's called a message in a bottle it's a beautiful wine tasting uh, uh, and pairing evening that will allow us to have a more uh, a stronger presence in uh, in uh, Quebec City and uh, we're going to be running our Halloween campaign called develop sweet reflexes or bonbon reflex where we sell Halloween bags with reflective ink so that our little ones can be seen um, on uh, Halloween night. So that's a safety uh, awareness uh, campaign, but a fundraiser for the organization as well. And uh, 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 we're going to continue uh, delivering our uh, workshops. So when the school year uh, is completed in June, 
right away we go into the summer camps uh, throughout the province uh, again so we're just going to continuing hammering our message and a lot of the kids will have seen us it's just an opportunity to repeat the messages and make sure that uh, uh, they do understand them and then uh, in uh, September we're going to continue with especially promoting our shine we really realize that there's an there's a, an urgent need to teach kids about healthy relationships setting boundaries denouncing inappropriate uh, uh, behavior, knowing who you can speak to in those uh, situations as well, and reinforcing that no means no. It's not a negotiable. No means no. What What is the possibility of having that program actually inserted in the curriculum of our schools? I think it could be a little bit challenging because right now the schools are are uh, met with so many uh, other challenges as well. You know, there do, there's... Um, I, I know uh, we spoke with someone at the ministry and that's uh, of education and, and he was saying, uh, you know, uh, we're trying to do drug prevention, cannabis prevention right now. Um, mental health issues, for yeah. example, all the transgender, LBGTQ. And he says, you know, uh, there are so many great programs, but if we inserted each one in the curriculum, we would never get through the rest of the curriculum. So we need to reach kids uh, through different medium as well. Uh, that's why we work with a lot of the youth serving groups. We've been into some of the group homes that are led by Batshaw. Uh, we'll go to the YMCAs, you know, the big brothers, big sisters, um, et cetera. So we're just trying to, les maisons de jeunes, we've done a mm -hmm. lot of interventions in les maisons de jeunes. So we just sometimes, if, if a school tells us, listen, you know, we've maxed out uh, uh, guest speakers for this year. So then we say, okay, in this community, who else can we work with? And other community groups like La Maison d'Haïti that, mm -hmm. that is not far from our offices as well. So we, you know, any opportunity to meet with the kids and leave them with uh, tools that can help them because you never know which kid is in trouble mm -hmm. or just didn't know that these were his or her rights, for example, yeah. and you leave them with something that can change their life in a positive manner and not become another victim or another statistic or just how many kids are um, just committing suicide, you mm -hmm. know, like that's their only way out. Yeah. And I, I can't even imagine that, like for someone to feel so young that it's just so hopeless that they're doomed. Yeah. It's unfathomable. Pina, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're very busy. Um, I've always loved the work that you do here. Uh, Thank good you. luck, uh, good luck with uh, with uh, you know all the future activities, and uh, I know that I'll be seeing you again very soon. Thank you so much, George. It was a pleasure. Thanks.